John 16, let's look at verse 25 to begin. Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus says here in verse 25, I have said these things. This is his way of bringing to a close what is referred to as the farewell discourse. Farewell discourse has been Jesus' final words of instruction and clarity for his faithful followers. He then says, in these things have been figures of speech. Meaning their full clarity and meaning is still somewhat beyond the listener's full comprehension. For example, he just finished talking about the sorrow they will have and then joy again. There is no way these guys had the breadth and the depth of what that sorrow would be and the joy that they would experience then to see their Lord resurrected. So yeah, they might be understanding, but do they fully understand? No, not yet. The reference to his brutal death that will make them incredibly sorrowful, and then seeing him again, which will bring a joy like few other things ever. One example he gives for this is the joy that happens when a newborn baby comes into the world and how it overwhelms the pain and the sorrow that the mother was experiencing just moments before. Jesus has already made clear in John 16, 12, I, have, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus, in that, in that context, in John 16, verse 12, he then goes on to say that the Spirit will bring the needed clarity for all that they need to know. Just as here in verse 25, he says, the hour is coming when he will tell them plainly about the Father. There's another layer of understanding that is to come, which is good news for any of the confusion that they're still in. It's not that they're being... It's not that they're not being given true insight or parables that veil the truth, as Jesus' intention is for some of the parables for some of his hearers. It's not, he's not trying to say that. He's not trying to purposefully confuse them. It's just that the full view of the atonement and the persecution and the resurrection is for God to fully know and for his people to fully know as he ordains for them too in time. So Jesus builds on the goodness of that future restoration by saying now in verse 26 and 27 in that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you in that day whereby I Jesus have reconciled you my chosen ones through my shed blood to the Father, then you will ask in my name, you will ask to do my work, and I will no longer have to ask the Father on your behalf, for you and the Father will be restored. 
and you will speak to him directly through my perfect intercession. Why? Because the Father loves you. Jesus has already made his love known. As things draw to a close, he points his hearers to the beauty of the gospel truth that life in Christ means reconciliation to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Church, see the Father of all creation's love for you. See what he did to make you his. See your access to him no longer is hindered by sin. See Jesus love you so much that he makes this possible for you. Second part of verse 27 and 28. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God, I came from the Father and have come into the world And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Here Jesus states to them the the reality that they have loved him and have believed rightly that he came from God the Father and into the world and is going to leave the world and go to the Father. This they they have heard and understood to the degree that God wills for them to. And again, we they will have a great clarity after seeing the resurrected Jesus, a clarity that will embolden them in their faith like never before for what is ahead of them. But notice in verse 29 and 30, the disciples are overly confident that they fully get Jesus and all that he has said, even though he just got done telling them all this is not in their full view and understanding yet. Listen to their words in 29 and 30. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Church, we're good at doing this too. Uh, Any of you who have kids know what this is like, this moment for Jesus. You, you try to bring a pretty heavy and big concept into their view to their understanding. Maybe something that would really change their lives and trying to help them understand this. And they're like, yeah, mom and dad, I get it. And you're sitting there going, no, you really don't. You, you, I, I, I mean, I know you kind of do but you don't and I think that's what's happening here we get it we get it we're with you let's go and Jesus answers them in end of verse 31 he says do you now believe now he's already said clearly he knows that they believe into him as Lord that that belief is real. They are his chosen ones. And so that's not what he's questioning here. He knows that they're lacking a full insight into what is about to occur and just how much it's going to affect them. So the question stands for them, I think, as a table setter 
for what they're about to go through. Jesus knows how hard it is about to get for them. Their faith and their devotion for him is going to be tested big time. So even with all of this news, he's just finished giving them in the farewell discourse, saying, do you you believe now? Like even in their kind of being shaken and just the news of this stuff, it's kind of his way of saying, hey, you still believe? You've got to keep leaning in. I think he's setting the table for their faith to be tested in just a major way. And I think it also reveals a real sweet reality that our belief into Jesus is, is different than our, our believing or understanding what Jesus says. That it's the saving work that he does in our lives to cause us to trust him is different than all these facets that I understand. What we believe about Jesus and what we know he will do are, are two different things. We can know Jesus deeply in our salvation and be full of faith and trust in him, but still not know Jesus in such a way that we have him all figured out. That's still a process. There's still sanctification. There's still Bible study. There's still growth in all those truths. And so I want to encourage us as a church to not relegate just knowledge acquired about Jesus to be any kind of foundation that you stand on. Because what you'll discover along the way is there's still things you're just really lacking in. You have to stand on just that simple faith that God blessed you with and that just trust in Jesus. Because there will be times where what you're studying or what you're coming to understand or the way the world's coming at you will just feel very undone. And you just got to come back to the basics of who you are in Christ, who He is, what He's done for you. First of all, we cannot know all that there is to know about Him or what He will do. He is God, we are not. And that is why we must know Him personally, believe in Him simply, trust in Him fully, that we would really walk by faith, just an unbreaking trust. And this is also why religion and just head knowledge is not enough. It must be a personal knowing and trusting in Jesus, a dependence on Him alone, on His work alone. You can't figure it out and then do it yourself. You're desperate and dependent on Him. Figuring God out just enough that you feel in or ready or affirmed, it's just not enough. True saving faith is seeing that you can't do it. 
You can't figure it out. You can't arrive. You are desperate for Jesus to do it for you. These guys needed to be in the dark to some degree so that God could do all he needed to do on their behalf so that we could be redeemed and trust in him and be restored to him. And the Holy Spirit would make all things they needed to know ever more clear. But I want you to see how that growing clarity is is truly secondary. What is primary is faith. Faith in Jesus alone. In verse 32, Jesus goes on and he says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. He knows that they believe in Him, and yet He also knows they're going to struggle. That they're going to be overwhelmed, that they're going to scatter. I mean, one of the feedbacks that we're getting from you is the joy of really sitting in this text, in this pace that we're seeing it in, that we're really trying to grab hold in a fuller way what Jesus is really poignantly working out with the disciples. I mean, when, when he says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, literally that hour is upon him. He is about to be arrested. We have spent months in a matter of hours in this last night before Jesus is murdered. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and leave me alone. There are multiple references to the scattering of the sheep when persecution comes in the Old Testament. Zechariah 13.7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. 1 Kings 22.17, And he said, I, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. These scriptures in the Old Testament have some present context, but all these things are really pointing to this very eternal work that Jesus will do on our behalf. On the church, God's people's universal need for the shepherd, the good shepherd, to do this work. All of the world's been waiting for the arrival and fulfillment of the promised one, the shepherd of the flock. But for him to claim his people... He must pay for their sin. Which means the shepherd then must be struck and that the sheep will scatter. And like as it said in 1 Kings 22, Jesus says, when you are scattered, you will each return to your own home. They will leave him alone to the trials and the beatings and public death. 
They will run. They will hide in their homes. It will look in that hour like all is lost. It will seem like something went very wrong. Do you remember feeling that way at some point in your life? Like it was all lost. Something went very wrong. Church, we we get the privileged view to see what was coming for these and now how it has turned out. But they didn't. They had to live through it. Well, none of them would have permitted it if given the choice or wished it to happen. It had to happen. This is why only God was really in full view of what must take place and the faith of the disciples in Jesus would be put to the test. Just as it maybe has been for you or will be one day. But you've got to notice what Jesus says. He says, yet, you will leave me alone, he says. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The one who is always faithful. The only one who is always faithful. I know you are growing in your love for each other. I'm thankful for your love for me. But I will not always be faithful to you. My sin will struggle. My selfishness will creep in. You will not always be faithful to each other. Do not think that this road together is flawless. Just like in real families, we might have some real gnarly seasons with each other to work through, to struggle through, to overcome. But you know what? That's what families do. And eternal families all the more. But we can only do that because we who are saved are not alone either. We have this same hope that Jesus has to say, I'm not alone, the Father's with me. In the midst of our greatest storms and deepest, darkest valleys, Christ in you is your hope of glory. Beloved, you know that Christ is with you even when no one else is. Here's the reality that we must grasp. We will let each other down. It is the simple reality of the struggle against our flesh. But praise God, the Lord is faithful. He is present. He is holy and perfect. Do you know that Christ is with you even when no one else is?
The disciples were loyal and devoted like, like no one else. They proved it by their faithful walking with and serving Jesus over three years every day spending together. But even they, the A-team, scattered and, and got caught up in looking out for themselves. Jesus would be left alone by his peers, but God was with him. God the Father is also with us and will never forsake us. Church, this is what you and I have in Christ. Others will struggle. They will betray us, hurt us. They'll simply get busy with life and stuff. But the Lord is always with you. Know this. Rest in Him and walk in Him always. Now, for those of you saying, Pastor, you are at an incredible pace this morning. We have one verse left. Fear not. For verse 33 is where I want to spend the majority of our time today. I want to ask you to memorize this verse. And you'll see why in a minute. We need this verse. Here it is, his final words in the farewell discourse. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Again, Jesus brings resolve to his words in the farewell discourse with the words, I have said these things to you. And then he brings a solid and poignant three part clarity the disciples will need in the coming season of ministry and in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. I pray you're emboldened by it today. First, peace in Christ. He says that in me you may have peace. Now, I'm going to teach on this Tuesday and Wednesday night this week as my text is Philippians 4, 1 through 9, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture of how we combat anxiety and stress and worry with the peace of Christ. And so I had the tricky line to walk of, of how to not get into that this morning, uh, but to still lift high this important truth. So I want to ask you to come this this week and, and sit with us in the word and enjoy that time um, if you haven't in a long time or and you've gotten busy with their stuff man we make it a priority to, to be with us in the word midweek god's doing a great work there it's a joy to know each other and walk together in that way i want to build towards that midweek teaching and just showing how game-changing what jesus is saying here he says in me you may have peace 
these final three points of emphasis here in verse 33 are helpful reminders and repeats of key things that Jesus has already emphasized in the farewell discourse. As often good speakers will do, they'll kind of recap what they've just said. He's going to pull out a couple very poignant things, and this is the first. Let's look back at where he's touched on this very poignantly. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Dictionary definition of peace is untroubled. You're untroubled. There's no no troubles coming at you. You're tranquil. You're content. But that kind of peace outside of Jesus is a very circumstantially dependent. And that's why Jesus says, what the peace I bring to you is not like the world brings. It's a different thing entirely. True peace is not found in the absence of conflict or in just good feelings. The world's peace is that circumstantial peace. And that's why it's always momentary for a moment or a season and then it's gone. And why it's always fleeting. It just seems to never stick. Be careful, church, that you don't think of the world's peace and then look to God and go, God, why is my peace always so fleeting? That's probably because the peace that you're clinging to is is the world's peace and not the peace we have in Christ despite our circumstances. The only way we have true peace, lasting peace, is in Jesus. No external or self-made modification can bring the peace that only Christ can give you. Christ's work on your behalf is the only peace, the only way peace is attainable for your deepest problems, the only way it's lasting. Anything else you cling to, anything else you do to improve, anything you might acquire has attached to it stress to keep it. Remember remember my example of the $5 million of gold and and how excited you got, and then I reminded you of how stressful it now is going to be to figure out what you do with that gold so you don't get beaten and and it have it stolen, and where do I hide it? Where do I, how do I keep it? How do I invest it? All the stress that comes with that. Any other thing, relationship, position of honor, acquired position in life or, or success, something you own and get to buy and enjoy, it's fleeting. It can be taken away. It can break down. It can abandon you. And the stress, the anxiety that comes with trying to find peace in that stuff is why it's just never-ending. But see this morning that Jesus' work on your behalf in the gospel is finished. You are possessors of life in Christ, not by anything that you did, and you rest in that. And knowing him and knowing that it can't be undone or taken from you, knowing that there's nothing to complete, is why only in Christ do you have real and lasting peace? Amen. 
And this is the way the Word speaks of it. Back to the famous Isaiah 53, verse 5, speaking of Jesus, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. So when we talk as about gospel reorientation and why we, we need to be in each other's lives so that we can remind each other of gospel truths because really when we're getting into a place where we're getting in trouble or we're sinning, it really is just a matter of a misapplication of the gospel. So we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ, reminded of these truths. And, and whatever we're clinging to that we think if that just gets fixed, then I'll finally have peace. Man, that we love each other enough to remind each other That peace has been bought for you. You have it in Christ. Stop looking for it in something else. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is emphasizing. Your true peace in the midst of hardship, suffering, loss, pain, persecution is only found in Jesus. This is why modern day movements that are ever-increasing ideologies about reconciliation, society restoration, are, are quickly, if not altogether, moving away from the gospel. They're, they're, they're moving away from the atonement, from the work of Jesus on our behalf, the purity of the gospel, the good news of the gospel that draws us to God, to worship God, to trust in God. And these movements that are becoming all too popular are infecting a generation with a thought that we are going to attain this somehow. And if you just really don't know how weighty what I'm talking about is, can I just ask you just to be praying for those who are at risk of getting caught up in it? Because i got to tell you, it is, it is real business. Especially in our younger generation, especially in our young adults right now, it is rampant. We're, we're going to pray for Alex and sending her back to college, even a Christian school. We're going to pray for her today. Why? Because this season is so critical. Because the lies and the deception coming are so real. This is why as your shepherds, we want to be diligent and vigilant to have good discernment. On the surface, some of these things might look fine. They might look good. And, and you just, we just got to be willing to mind down and say, hey, is it built on a faulty gospel? Because if it is, it's of the devil. There's no hope in it. There's no truth. There's no life. It is that deception of our enemy to, to, to put on the sheep's clothing. The wolf is deceiving. 
much of those who claim the name of Jesus. Jesus is emphasizing your true peace in the midst of hardship, suffering, loss, pain, persecution is only found in him that in me you may have peace. It's a peace that that we will study again in midweek, but it, it needs to be rightly understood and embraced in our hearts that it's in Jesus This is why religion and knowledge about Jesus is simply insufficient. Your belief must be into Jesus. You are desperate for his identity. You are desperate for his power, for his work, for his promise, not your own or anything else. In me, you may have peace. This is good news, church. Next. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Again, Jesus has already spoken to this. We saw it in the last chapter, John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Because those whom God has chosen to make new in Christ are no longer of the world, but are of Christ, now members of his household, the the world has a, a true angst and hatred for the church, the members of the church. I really wanted to find some other text in all of this recent teaching we did on this topic just to continue to show you how, how constant this message is So looking to a couple of the other Gospels, I found these three verses to share with you. These are Jesus' words in in Matthew 10, 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And and if all that feels a little too global and maybe a little out of touch, this one surely should hit home. Luke 21, 16 and 17. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers, and relatives, and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. If the disciples only knew the tribulation they were really about to go through, the persecution that waited around the corner, the tidal wave that it must have been like in those next couple hours and days. They're hiding for their lives. They're watching their master tortured, condemned, and killed. And what about the tribulation that each of them would face constantly in and out of jail, constantly in and out of beatings, and all of them but John martyred for standing for Christ. 
Church, let us not be surprised when the world hates us, when the world is coming at us, when nothing makes sense in the world. Why? Because it's not just feel-good religious rhetoric. Because that really means nothing when your world is crumbling. Why? Why let us not be surprised? Why let us not fear in the midst of these things? Because of your victor. Because of who sits on the throne. Because of who holds all things together. Because of who has overcome the world. As big as the evil system of darkness is, as massive as Satan's army is, as rampant as sin and selfishness is, as lost as people are in sin and in idol worship and in self-glorification, as dark as the sin of rape, child abuse, human trafficking, genocide, abortion, sexual perversion, corporate greed, false worship is in the world. Hear what Jesus says to his disciples with his final words. Hear him declare it to us today. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. The influence and the power of the world is powerful. But hear me today, hear me today. It is not all powerful. One greater than it, mightier than its prince, has been here, has won, has vanquished it. The world did its utmost to battle, to rage, but the Son of God prevailed. The world is a conquered world. It has been conquered for us by Jesus Christ. So let us take courage. The storms, the trials, the persecution may feel fierce, may feel completely overwhelming at times, but let them not drive us to despair, but only drive us closer to Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It is God who changes times and seasons, who removes kings and sets up kings. It is God whose riches and wisdom and knowledge are the deepest. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. It is Jesus who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Church, Jesus, our king, our bloody champion, our God has overcome the world. Is this truth under your feet? Is it the filter through which everything that is coming at you must pass? Be reminded of what God said to Job in the midst of a dark hour and great loss to remind Job's heart who reigns over all things Job 38, 4-13. Here's God's words to Job. Where were you 
when I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who outstretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who shut the sea? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth. And the wicked be shaken out of it. He goes on for like 30 more verses. But you get the idea. Church, may we know who our God is. May we rightly understand what he controls. May we believe rightly that nothing or no one is his equal. Psalm 33, 6 and 9 says, The Lord merely spoke, the heavens were created, He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. For what He spoke, the world began. It appeared at His command. First Chronicles 29, 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Isaiah 40:18 To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? 1 Samuel 2:2 2, 2, There is none holy like our Lord for there is none besides you there is no rock like our God. Amen. Jesus says take heart. In other words don't lose faith. Keep your head up. Trust in Jesus, for he has overcome the world. For in Christ alone is the power for salvation and every good thing that honors God. Church, let the fact that our God rules over it all and that Christ has overcome it all be to us an unbreakable, unshakable bedrock for our faith. So I ask you to stand with me. I want to read Romans 8. As we close this morning, a few different texts in Romans 8. And just let these wash over you to reset you firmly on the foundation of who Jesus is. It says in Romans 8, 28, For we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who were called according to His purpose. 
Romans 8.31, for if God is for us, who can be against us? And Romans 8.33-39, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For it is written that for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? The world will rage against us. Suffering, death, persecution will be real for us in the here and now. But Jesus has overcome the world. So, I remind you again, stop telling God how big your storm is and start telling your storm how big your God is. Church, our peace is found in Jesus. Our victory is found in Jesus. Our security is found in Jesus. Join me in memorizing this verse. Take this final statement of Christ in his farewell discourse to his devoted followers with you. John 16, 33. I have said all these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. Father, we, we humbly come to you this morning on the shoulders of Jesus' words here and, and just a beautiful conclusion to John 16. Who are we, God, just to be, just to be honored and be blessed by, by the goodness of your word, to be able to even have access to it? Thank you, Lord, that we're a church that's longing to really fight to hold fast to the authority of your word that whatever we claim to that's our ideas our preferences our our personal convictions god that we just submit ourselves constantly wholly on the word of god that you would sanctify mature and send us forth that even as you were emboldening and putting under the feet of the disciples a readiness for what was to come. You, you are and have been doing that for us as well as we study these things. And so, Lord, we, I just ask that we not be guilty of, of saying today, what a good day it has been because nothing went wrong. Let us not cling to the circumstances, Lord, but cling to you. And even if today just goes utterly on its head, we could finish our day to say, what a good day to be alive in Christ, to know my God, 
because of his blood. Have peace and hope and joy despite my circumstances. Lord, use my life for your purposes and glory. And so, Lord, we stand today in unity on nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we, we kind of end our morning in an attitude of celebration of these truths and what, and, and what we truly stand in and on. And so hear us now, in Jesus' name, amen.